When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Breaking news. The imbalanced history of rock and roll is hitting the road, and we want you to join us for a live podcast session at Crooked Eye Brewing in Hapro, PA, on Tuesday, July 23rd at 7 p.m. Get details on how you can be part of the podcast on our Facebook page. We're celebrating our 20th episode with a party at Crooked Eye, where we will record two episodes of the Imbalanced History Podcast. Get details on Facebook or email us, imbalancehistory at gmail.com, if you have any questions. July 23rd at Crooked Eye in Hatboro, we're having a podcast party. Hello, folks. It is time for your favorite new podcast that's not so new anymore, The Imbalanced that's History right. of Rock and Roll. We are on episode number 17. We will be delving into British guitarists of the 70s. We are going to tell you our five favorite, and we want to know who your five favorite are. I am one of your hosts, Marcus in the Darkest, and with me is my partner in crime, Ray Coob. How are you, man? Hey, you know what? I realized we missed an opportunity in our last episode to call it the Sweet Little 16 episode. Yes, we did. The Sweet but, Little 16. And it was. Sweet Little 16 and never been kissed now. <laughs> speaking of which i guess we'll really be kissed if we ever do an episode about kiss i think we're gonna eventually have get to. an episode about kiss we I have, have to, to tell you about the time gene simmons propositioned me oh, i'd love to hear that story <laughs> for sure were you wearing a dress you'll find out if we ever do the podcast <laughs> hey. it is five favorites and i love the concept of doing five favorites because we can talk about things that we're passionate about and in this case it's the uh, british guitarists of the 70s so there's always an argument there He's making a grimace like, yeah. Oh, yeah. I've heard some great discussions about guitarists over the years and over the decades. And hearing how guitar really makes people feel and how each different guitarist with different style impacts people is pretty incredible. And this and every episode this month and next month, thanks to our sponsors, is brought to you by Crooked Eye Brewing at 13 East Montgomery Avenue in the heart of Hapro. Great place to go and check some of the freshest, coolest brews you'll ever have. Uh, it's, it's one of my favorite watering spots, Marcus. And we're going to go there. Yes, we are. We're going to go there, knock back a few tasties, play some vinyl. Going to be a fun night. Indeed. Well, I saw in our notes, we always keep notes uh, that we share on Google Docs about each episode. And early after this episode posted, it says, Marcus has his done, which meant you were quick to uh, figure out your five favorite British guitarists of the 70s. Yes, I was. And I actually ended up changing one. Ah. Will you tell us which one when we're going through? Absolutely. I will right. absolutely tell you. And I had a few that were on the list that were close to being in the top. 
top five, but not quite right. there as well. It's funny because none of them are like exceptional, magnificent, Eric Clapton-like, you know, Jimmy Page-like guitar players, but they played with feel and style that really appealed to me. They just weren't able to make it into the top five. The argument over 70s British guitar players has been going on since the 70s. Since the beginning of the 70s, there was a constant argument about who was the greatest, who was the best. And as one person pointed out to me, doing five favorites makes it different because we're doing what we think are our favorites and uh, the best doesn't really become a debate, but we want your input too, like Marcus said on Facebook and on the website too. Please. All right, now my first comment, I'm gonna start right here. I could have had 10 easily. 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 And that makes it hard to cook it down to five. And I avoided, because, and this is this is uh, your thing, I avoided from, I avoided making a Marcus Mamas and the Papas move. Uh, it was and, potentially possible with the 70s a few well, times. Well, there's actually, there's a, a trio that didn't make my top five that maybe should have, and some of my uh, fans of that band will probably be pissed off at me, but that's what goes on sometimes so, here on The Imbalance History. So you were going to one-up my duo and go trio. That's right. That's rad. That's right. totally Totally rad. But we really should do the five first, and yes, then we, we can should. talk about who shoulda, coulda, woulda. At number five, I start. Are you ready? Yes. Dr. Brian May. Literally orchestrated the paradigm for Queen Sound with his guitar style and his feel. And uh, who else in the pantheon of rock is a doctor of astronomy? No one. But that has nothing to do with it, really. It's the fact that he produced such an amazing body of work that was different and unique and incredibly strong in the 70s. So there's my number five. Brian May, what you got? My number five, Andy Summers of the Police. Ah. I he didn't start to the late 70s. You I think know. those first two records really really were enough? I think those first three records were really yeah, enough. Yeah, because I, I guess really the third do, record yeah. really is, is a 70s record. Too. I, I really do. And I think the fact that he did what he did with the reggae groove. I mean, Stuart Copeland as a drummer is insane. Yeah. Fast, and he hit hard. And then for Sting to vocals and play bass to keep up with the two of them, pretty incredible band. Incredibly but, talented trio, no Absolutely. Doubt. But Andy Summers' work, I think, is just really special. There's a feel that really, the guitar really makes you want to move and dance and bounce differently than some of the other music from that 70s era where you had a different kind of sound coming along, mm -hmm. but there was something that just, it just made me feel, and it was intelligent rock, too, and very intelligent punk, I think. There you go. And the reggae influence. Well, you I can't I can't deny the reggae influence. It's undeniable. It is. Especially in that band. So number four. Number four. What have you got at number four, my friend? I'm going to go with uh, Dave Davies of the Kinks at number four. Still in the 70s, huh? Still Absolutely. Think about it. He kicked off the 70s with Lola. Yeah. And the music continued to be really solid. And because I heard the Kinks in the 70s versus the 60s, to me, that time period, like the Lola stuff was a lot more important. Staying up late night, listening to the radio, reading my Hardy Boys books as an eight. Nine were, year were old. you into like Sleepwalker and those records from the middle seventies period, the early Arista stuff? Not until I hit the nineties, right? But I like it, and I think it shows how talented Dave Davies is, and 
Again, we were talking earlier during the Chuck recordings about how Dave Davies put that uh, razor blade into the uh, yeah, into the amp, yeah. and it just changed everything, completely changed everything. But then he continued to play rock and roll, but his style grew and his style changed, but they were still always the kinks. You know, the thing that always gets me is the sibling rivalries oh, in yeah. rock and roll, and we should do an episode on that, and the oh, kinks yeah. would be uh, an early example of it. Mm. And it always begs the question, what would they have done if they could have just mm. gotten along? So there's always that, too. As great as their impact, was uh, the kinks were how much more could they have done in, in, in later years low budget was their last album of the 70s and that's a really great way to go oh, out yeah. you have misfits you have uh the preservation act one and two the muswell hillbillies in the early 70s great so, records i mean seriously some great music and some innovative music as well and again i know dave davies compared to like eric clapton and you know, some of those incredible guitarists isn't the same, but he plays with feel that's very special, and that's why. Cool. My number four probably gets in for the same kind of reason, your last reason right there, special kind of feel. He wasn't the original guitarist in Yes, but when Steve Howe arrived, he provided some amazing play on key parts of Yes's sound as they developed their progressive wow. edge in the 70s. And still through today, it's a personal choice for me because I know Steve a little. I've met him a few times and interviewed him a couple times. And um, the last time was when I was at MGK, and he's really like the old professor who just says stuff to get a rise out of you. And, and oh, you know, quickly, ha, ha, ha. You know? <laughs> but an incredible technician whose feel is a signature part of why Yes is one of the great bands of all time. And the um, first time I met him uh, was when I was a kid working at MMR, and he was in the station to promote GTR. Oh. Uh, it was a project he did with Steve Hackett, who had just left Genesis. And it was my first CD, and it was given to me, signed by the artist. It's still in the wall. And it's one of those things that, you know, for a kid who was at JFK Stadium in the summer of 76, to meet Steve Howe, it blew my fucking mind. Of and course then, it did. And then I met him many times through the years and interviewed him a couple times. It's still, it kind of like pinched me, I think I'm dreaming here. Their body of work in the 70s is magnificent. I remember listening to them on AOR radio all the time. Oh, and yeah. even some of that stuff... Like like Roundabout every once in a while would cross over onto Top 40. You'd be listening to Top 40 and all of a sudden Roundabout would come on and you're like, what? Well, that's where I found them. Uh, I was still making the transition to FM and I used to listen to Famous 56 WFIL Philadelphia. Ah. And they played hits and they were playing Roundabout, but they were playing the single version. Yeah. And one of my friends said to me, you know, Shockey and Tearson are playing the full version. And I went, full version? What? What? And so, no, I <laughs> I, you know, I didn't yet have the album, so I ended up partially switching to being a primarily mm. FM listener because of Yes and the Fragile record. But all that personal stuff aside, I still think he's one of the greatest of the 70s from the aisles. So that brings us to the top three, and this is always a point where we can make each other scream what or yep. concur. True. What do you got? Number three, I know he's in your top three, without a doubt. There's no doubt that two of my final three are the same as yours. Yes. Keith is number three. Wow. These top three were really hard, but I had to dig deep into my childhood and what I listened to the most from that time period. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. that's why my top two are who they are. And the Stones, right. I always love the Stones. I think their 70s work is so much better than their 60s work. And I love their 60s work, but the dirtiness and the darkness and yeah. the feel of the Stones 
in the 70s. And I don't know if there's anybody alive as far as British musicians go who plays with feel as well as Keith does. I mean, seriously, he might be the greatest feel guitar player of all time. When you realize what they showed a hint of on Beggar's Banquet, and then started to perfect on Let It Bleed. It's little wonder that they saved some of the good stuff and, until they were out of DECA for uh, Sticky Fingers. But those records in the set in the 70s, Sticky Fingers and Exile on Main Street, uh, Goat's Head Soup, It's mm-hmm. Only Rock and Roll, these are unbelievable masterpieces. And But I want to just want to say one thing. The thing about Keith is that he always had a great mate. You know, he had Jonesy in the 60s, yeah. and then he had Mick Taylor, and then he had Woody. In the 70s, it was Taylor and Wood. And I almost pulled, that's where I was going to pull my uh, Mamas and the Papas move that you made when we were talking about American singers and put the three of them in there. And they still didn't make my top five because individually, I think they're all amazing guitar players. And it's what they've done together, what Mick and Keith did together and what Keith and Woody have done together that makes it extra special. And they would be my number six or seven if I had that. Those early 70s songs and albums by the Stones are still fully relevant today, lyrically and musically, and that is power. We're doing episode 17 of the Imbalanced History of Rock and Roll, and we're kind of in the middle here. I'm about to go with my number three, but we got to mention that our good friends at Crooked Eye Brewing, uh, located at 13 East Montgomery Avenue in Hatboro, are our sponsors, and we're so happy to be going to see them and uh, have them as our sponsor, our first sponsor here on the podcast well when you stop by you know you're going to feel like you're part of the gang right away marcus you know what i mean when totally. i say that and it's the atmosphere at crooked eye yeah you get to meet paul and paul they're the brothers-in-law who started crooked eye brewing basically it was brewing beer at home right. and it grew from there and started now they have spaces a, yeah it started as a little plank bar at their location there on montgomery and Hapro, right mm-hmm. in the heart of Hapro, and it's grown into something so much better than that and you get to meet the crooked eye crew who make every night fun you'll be able to make some new friends as well and that's one of those bars where you get to hang out and talk to people and the guy who does the brewing my buddy jeff mulheron he's there and uh he might even share something he's got in the tank with you he does their burrow blonde ale he does the hazy eye ipa and a personal favorite of mine the regimental 80 but they've got this new ipa the crooked ipa it's really good marcus Really? It's a sturdy American IPA with a rich golden color and aromas of citrus and pine, which, you know, you might think, citrus and pine, how's it take? When you take one to taste, you'll just understand. It's for those of you who like hops but don't want to get overhopped by your beer. I'm game with a non-overhopped beer. Stop in and taste what else Jeff has brewing. Oh, that's the other thing. He's always got something new going on. Yeah, there's always something coming out, and he's always trying stuff. That's what I like. Excellent. And they're serving nightly in the heart of Hatboro. Crooked yep. Eye has the cure for what ails you since 2014. And there's more to the fun at Crooked Eye than just the brews. You go and check out their website, Crooked Eye Brewery. Bookmark it and check back to see what's going on. A lot of music and fun. There's uh, yoga and all kinds of fun stuff. And uh, vinyl nights and there's great brews great people and fun times next time you want a true craft beer experience stop by for a pint and make it crooked eye you will feel like family the moment you walk through the door i tell you i went in there my first time before i was did my um first friday night flights broadcast from the place it's true you feel right at home as soon as you walk in there hello pantheon podcast listeners christian swain here to tell you more about my experience with raycon earbuds Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. 
Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So, what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right, you'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. We are doing episode 17. It's all about the top five faves, British guitarists of the 70s. And I'm at number three. You gave us your number three. Who's your number three? My number three, the one and only Eric Clapton. Kind of figured he was somewhere in there for you. I know how much you love him. He may also be in my top five guitarists, British guitarists of the 60s, if we ever do that episode. So he comes out of, um, you know, the Yardbirds and Cream, and he does Delaney and Bonnie, and he does Blind Faith and Derek and the Dominoes. And then all of a sudden, he's a solo guy in the 70s. And he just delivers a stream of amazing music with great players behind him and just blows away the competition through the 70s with all kinds of great records. We could go through all the details of it. He had his health issues in the 70s as well, uh, hospitalized with a bleeding ulcer at one point. And that was what started pointing him towards maybe living a little better and living a little longer, which is what he's done. Because we need him. We do. We need him. And even though he said he was retiring, he's been doing shows, a couple here, a couple there. He's still doing the Crossroads Festival, so that's all good things. Yeah, I'm glad that he can still play. I can't imagine not being able to play if you're Eric Clapton and how you would deal with that. Well, a couple of guys of that era are looking at it. He's he's mentioned his inability to play the way he used to. Frampton has talked about uh, this degenerative disease that he has that he wants to play as much as he can, as long as he can. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's it's part of reality. These guys are all in, uh, in, in their 70s are pushing it. Yep, and they've been playing hard for so long that their bodies are breaking down. It's like athletes in the same way. Yeah, I agree. So, it, you can only go so long. And, and that's that's what happens with a lot with drummers, too, like we've mm-hmm. talked. Knees and backs go bad. So here we are. Mm-hmm. We're counting down our five favorite British guitar players of the 70s. Who's your number two? One of the two bands that was very big and influential, two bands artists that was big and influential for me in the 70s, Led Zeppelin and Jimmy Page, because what he did in the 70s was absolutely mind-bending. And on on the Led Zeppelin episode, we talked about how they changed between one and two and three and four, and by the time four came out, they were in full just 
ass-kicking, decadent, arena rock mode, and they were just crushing people with those albums. And that was early in the decade. Then they continued to do it for the rest of the decade. Yep, until yeah. Bonham passed away. And while they didn't continue to put albums out at the furious pace they did in the early days, they were touring, they were playing huge yeah. arenas, yeah. they were changing the game, but Jimmy's playing just, it's brilliant. I mean, Stairway to Heaven is the radio song that everybody wants to flick their lighters to, but you know most rock stations that play Led Zeppelin can pretty much play any song in the Led Zeppelin library. Pretty close to it. I did it for over 10 years, and I can tell you it's true. It's true. I mean, Zeppelin, when Zeppelin comes on, it doesn't matter what song you play because it's Zeppelin. And Jimmy's guitar is so distinct. And again, the sounds he made and the music they made, just mind-blowing. And I just love the way he plays. Yeah, it's just amazing. I can listen to it all the time. All the time. Well, my number two is probably, in a different way, the other most influential and massive band of the 70s. And that's David Gilmour from Pink Floyd. Uh, he led the emergence of Floyd in both sonic and guitar modes, t- took him to untold heights, culminating in The Wall, which is arguably one of the greatest albums of all time. His involvement as a songwriter takes a second chair to his playing as a guitar player. For all that Roger Waters meant and means to Pink Floyd, I don't think they get to all the places that they get to if he doesn't come along after Sid Barrett, you know, loses his mind and, yeah. and needs to be replaced. And Gilmore continues to, uh, you know, he doesn't perform much, he doesn't record much, but every few years we all get something under the tree from uh, our loved ones because they know that we must have everything he does. Oh, he's great. Oh. So that's my number two. I actually am shocked by that one. Not because it's who it is. I just, I guess I was, I was expecting something different. I don't know why, but well, he's, he's amazing. And again, one of the things that still blows me away is how they were performing Dark Side of the Moon in Europe live a year before yeah. the album came out as a test run to yeah. see if that shit would work. Well, they did a, a, a lot of the music. They worked it out and uh, that was something they weren't afraid of. They never were afraid to experiment. If you need any proof of that, listen to the the first few records with Gilmore in there, really through Obscured by Clouds, and go watch the video of them live at Pompeii. That'll tell you how far out there they were experimenting. So I'm not surprised that they would do that. That was still one of the most amazing projects, the work that went into making that. There was a release of uh, Alan Parsons' early mixes, and all I could tell you is that the work that went on from that point to the release of Dark Side of the Moon is pretty incredible. If we ever do an episode on Dark Side, which we will. We will. I got to go back and get those out so we can listen to them. Yeah, definitely. That's my number two. And my number one is your number two. James Patrick Page, ladies and gentlemen. Not only was he dominant throughout the decade, top of his game, Mom. Arguably, the band that was on the top of their game, the band of the 70s, Led Zeppelin, Jimmy Page, leads them out of the ashes of the Yardbirds. First two records hit what? In like... 13 months apart, not mm-hmm. even there. And then they're already off and running against all odds, against the critics, oh, the yeah. entire industry except for Atlantic Records, everybody against them. That's not really what it's about. But then they set on a path where they're delivering some of the most amazing records. And there at the center of it all is the guitar player and making it all. He's the producer. And uh, even though John Paul Jones is a maestro master in the studio, and he really, his playing is, even though we talk about how, you know, obviously the singer mm-hmm. or an arc in that case, Bonzo, the drummer, makes such a huge impact on the sound of the band. They had that, all four of them. And I don't know if 
all four of them don't end up being number one on all four of my list for their positions, so to speak, in the band. I can't argue with that. As a band, they and the Beatles might have been the two most powerful, talented foursomes of all time. Yeah. And that's not and that's not an unrealistic argument to make because no. seriously, the amount of talent out of all four of those guys is sick. It really is sick. But yeah. You have a different number one, and I am now incredibly curious as to what your number one guitarist of the 70s off the British Isles is. Mick Ronson. Wow. I actually added him late, too, because I was going to put Robert Fripp right in there from the King Crimson stuff, sure. because I had a babysitter who got me into King Crimson in the late 70s and early 80s. I bow 80s. down to you for first off, because Ronson isn't on even my 10. Really? And, and it's, no, it's an oversight on my part, because... Bowie was one of the seminal, formative, yep. musical things in my teens and into my 20s yep. and, and beyond, obviously. He's, wow. Yeah, he just, just the guitar work, like the first experience with Bowie was Rise and Fall of Ziggy Stardust, Moon Age right. Daydream. Right. And just to hear that guitar and there was that glammy feel to it and just there was something about it that really pulled me in. My parents were so afraid when oh, I started too. liking David Bowie. Oh, they were Alice like, Cooper what too. the fuck? Oh my God, you're going to start doing weird shit. No, I'm already doing weird, weird shit. shit. So it's like, holy shit. No, but you know, I understand where they were coming from. Okay, if they saw Ziggy Stardust, right? Mm -hmm. They see a guy, you know, dressed in some outlandish clothes yeah. with his leg up in a dark alley yep. they look at pinups and there's a guy with makeup uh, across his face right yeah. and, and lightning bolts lightning and bolts stars and, and then you go forward and they're like already they're now they're really all on edge about it yeah. and then the diamond dog shows up in the house and there's david bowie naked from the yep. waist down as a dog and my mom was just like oh between that right. and the alice cooper I don't oh, yeah. know what to do with you. Seriously, and I mean, you have the album Hunky Dory. You have, uh, God, what were some of the, uh, The Man Who Sold the World, which is a crazy album. And but Ronson, Ronson really helped give Bowie a bass, uh, yeah. a sonic partner to, to his... make the records they made together. And... Once Visconti left, um, stopped working with Bowie, Ronson took over all that work that Visconti was doing. And then the legendary uh, Transformer album from Lou Reed was guitar work done by uh, Mick Ronson. That dude did some crazy stuff, and the people that he played with over the years, Mott the Hoople, yeah. he was big with. Bob Dylan, he played on Hard Rain. Wow. He played on Tumbleweed Connection with Elton John. I didn't know that. Yeah. he um, that? The song that he recorded with Tumbleweed, his version didn't get on the original release of Tumbleweed, but was added, added later, later on. Yeah. So, you know what's funny about that? Because and, and this gets on a tangent a bit, but how many of those things that they didn't include, they only, they, in those days when they they were making vinyl records. They thought they only had one chance to make this record. Yeah. And never knowing what digital platforms and all that stuff would bring in later and how CDs would change all that. But I thought that's interesting. We're really different. We really only have, uh, what, one of the same yeah. in both of our lists, and that's Jimmy Page. Yep. But let's talk about who didn't make my list. Okay. Because right there, the guy who was always in the middle of the conversation uh, in the 70s, Pete Townsend is right there. Absolutely. For me. And then right underneath that is the, th the triple threat, you know, Keith... Mick and Woody that we talked about, and mm -hmm. uh, Tony Iommi. Oh yeah, 
And, Sabbath. Uh, you can't you, deny him. And you can't count out Jeff Beck because some of his records in the 70s were groundbreaking, even though they uh, weren't like big pop yep. radio records. And one other guy, I mentioned him earlier when we were talking about GTR, the other half of that, Steve Hackett from Genesis. When you think about the lines that he did on their records through Trick of the Tail, mm-hmm. Wind and Wuthering, and, the, and through that period, yep. and back through the Gabriel days, just an incredible guitarist. And oh, yeah. of course, a different feel or flavor than uh, a lot of the other people we're talking about true yeah that's uh some pretty good names right off the list as well and anybody's five favorites those people are all just as legit as anybody else somebody's five absolutely absolutely and then yeah because brian may was in my five favorites but some of the names that were close to the list that did make it robert fripp of uh king crimson Mm -hmm. the stuff Mm -hmm. that he did with them and the fact that he tried to poach brian ferry from roxy music in the late 60s to me is awesome (laughs) so and that was right after john wett left king crimson on the book of saturday and i think it's in the court of the crimson king album which if you want to hear some beautiful king crimson vocals listen to book of saturday and the guitar work is absolutely beautiful oh, on that song Still is. oh absolutely and i so, saw him with the reconstituted yeah. king crimson when the beat record was new. oh that was adrian Ballou, yeah. tony levin on the oh stick that God. dude could throw down and then bill bruford on drums who's absolutely insane as well here's another aside one time I saw Tony Levin play and he was playing with Peter Gabriel What shaved head he was playing the stick and he was in like a brown beige tunic oh my god so he looked like a giant penis from the audience <laughs> he really did I think he and did he that was, on purpose like, oh yeah absolutely it was really you cool no he did I love Tony Levin we oh, gotta absolutely. talk about some of you know, we had Kenny Aronson on here but we gotta talk about some of the great bass players at some point oh absolutely here on the imbalance history of rock and roll hey man I love doing these five favorites because Me too. now it opens opens it up we want you to post your five favorites we're going to post up the episode on our facebook page or you can make comments right on the website imbalancehistory.com and we want you to put your five favorites in there tell us what your favorites are or email them to us at imbalancehistory at gmail.com or check us out on Facebook at The Imbalanced History of Rock and Roll. You can follow us on Twitter, Raycube Radio, Marcus and Darkus. And our website is imbalancedhistory.com. Yeah, imbalancedhistory.com works no matter which way you put it in. And uh, it's uh, you can get the stuff, all the episodes, right there on the website. And if you go into the website, you'll see that you can also subscribe, add the podcast app on whatever platform you're on. and Google Play, iTunes, and tune in. Our podcast is sponsored by our good friends at Crooked Eye Brewing located at 13 East Montgomery Avenue in Hapro, heart of Hapro. It's always a great time when you stop by. They've got the cure for what ails you. You like that that slogan? It's I love cool. it. That's a fantastic slogan. A-L-E-S ails you. And in the summertime, it ails good. Summertime at Crooked Eye is always a blast. So that's going to put the reps on our latest episode, number 17, man. We're getting on and we thank you all for spreading the word on our little fun and games here on the internet. I'm Ray Coop ready to go i'm marks in the darkest thanks for hanging we'll catch you next time on the imbalance history of rock and roll it's nfl draft season and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football 
FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. 